In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. We have come through the 12 days of Christmas. The glory and the joy of welcoming God Almighty into the world by the birth of His Son cannot be celebrated and held to one day. So we have 12 of them. It deserves 12 days, and we kept those days until last Friday night. We then celebrated the epiphany of our Lord. This epiphany, or showing forth, or revelation, or manifestation of Jesus Christ, is really, like Christmas, no small day. The epiphany ought not to be considered an afterthought after such a big day as Christmas. And it is, most of the time, thought of in that way, but it ought not to be. As a result of the epiphany, we now have the next five and a half weeks, not just 12 days, to be shown who Jesus is and all that Jesus is. This epiphany tide we have entered will have its own joys and glories, just like Christmas. If you will, think back on how you spent the 12 days of Christmas. Over the years, it's likely that your families have developed their own little customs and practices to celebrate Christmas. My family has. I hope yours has too. These little traditions, we can call them, develop naturally and might seem insignificant to those who are not part of your family. Nonetheless, they are very important to those in the family. And I'm talking about activities like the recipe prepared from a particular relative, who's usually the only relative that can do that recipe, and that recipe is brought to the Christmas table year after year. Or there might be a particular relative's house where the celebration is to take place each year. So all of the members of the families come to that house. Or the decorations returning to their usual place because you put the decorations in the same place that they were the year before. All these practices are so important because they let the members of that family know who they are. For example, number one, those little practices let the family know that they're still part of the family. Or number two, they remind individual members that they are now with their family. Because these are the things that we do at Christmas. Number three, they help bring back the memory of the family's origin. There's a, such a comfort, a comfort in these little practices around Christmas. My point is, those traditions matter. That's my point. They matter in the same way the historic 
Christian tradition matters. Big C on Christian, big T on tradition, the Christian tradition. All of us who are members of the body of Christ, those tra that Christian tradition brings back, continues, and propels into the future the faith that we find in the scriptures. Do away with the tradition, and you're going to do away with the faith. It sounds extreme and alarmist, but it's not. Think about what it would be if some of those little familial traditions that we just talked about were not around through your Christmas. Your Christmas would change, and your attitude and knowledge of Christmas would be different. In the same way, not holding to the historic, traditional teachings and practices of the Christian faith, then the Christian faith would change. We would not have the truth revealed about who Jesus is, nor would we have the purpose of his ministry. The truths about God handed down by tradition are used so that we have a way to pattern our own lives. The tradition serves as the means for the truth and belief to become established and stay there from generation to generation. A group can tell for itself whether or not it is believing the same thing year after year or century after century when the tradition is maintained. This is true for our families celebrating Christmas according to their local customs that they have come to love. It's true in the biblical, historic, and doctrinal sense of keeping the big Christian tradition. Don't practice according to the established traditions, and the faith will change. Practicing according to what has been established is what we find Jesus doing at his baptism. Jesus was keeping his religion's tradition. God had come to know the Jews in particular, known by the Jews in particular ways, and Jesus was maintaining those teachings through keeping the tradition. From Moses right through to John the Baptist, Jesus honored what had been put in place. And if he's going to honor what's been put in place, he's baptized. This is part, just part, of the reason that Jesus allowed and really insisted that John baptize him. Remember, Jesus had to do some convincing because John was resisting baptizing Jesus. In Matthew's account of the baptism, there's some resistance from John to baptize Jesus. It says this, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, now file this, Jesus answered, let it be so now, 
For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. Jesus was taking part in the ritual washings that were deep in the Jewish faith. John knew about him. The Jews knew about these ritual washings. When we read the history of ritual washings in the faith of Israel, any number of types of ritual washing were there as part of their tradition. By taking part in this baptism of John, Jesus was in a certain way, not in a certain way, Jesus was certainly outwardly putting a confirmation, a stamp of approval on what had already been established by Israel's faith and practice of religion. This ritual washing that according to St. Mark, he says, all the country of Judea and all the people of Jerusalem were there. He, they came out to see what was that washing that was for repentance and the forgiveness of sins, the washing away of sins. Jesus was rightly taking part in the religion, but this time it was different. And it must have been different. Jesus didn't need to be cleansed. He doesn't need a ritual washing. He's perfect. He's sinless. He does, though, purposely and willingly come to John to be baptized. What's the difference? John recognizes the difference. Remember, he said, I need to be baptized by you. He said in the Gospel according to Matthew. And then in the Gospel according to John, John the Baptist, while he's in the area of Bethany baptizing, sees Jesus coming to him, points to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Well, there's a definite difference then, isn't there, when Jesus is being baptized. The difference is this time, the baptism is an epiphany. It's an epiphany, a revelation, a showing forth. The epiphany of who Jesus is and the purpose of his ministry launched by his baptism. That's the difference. Look what happens for John to see and hear. Now, by extension, if John the Baptist can see this happen and he can hear what happens, by extension, that crowd from Judea and Jerusalem are there and they can see it and hear it too. It goes this way. And when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove and a voice came from heaven, Thou art my beloved Son, with thee I am well pleased. Look what we have. We have God the Father's voice declaring Jesus as his Son. We have the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. Things to hear and things to see. This epiphany is showing forth God the Holy Trinity. But that's not all in this epiphany. We have the truth shown forth by an active and loving Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and also 
a complete revelation about the end and purpose of Jesus' ministry. We have why he has been born into the world and now shown to the world. The purpose of the ministry is righteousness and salvation. They're given to us at the, at the baptism. Remember, when John resisted baptizing Jesus, Jesus gained John's consent with these words. I told you to file them, and here they are again. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now the possibility is presented on how to know God, go to Jesus, and through repentance and forgiveness of sins can be given through Jesus. And immediately and ultimately baptism into Jesus can bring everlasting life. That is new, that epiphany. It's surprising. It's even outlandish for an epiphany. Given all that, we'd better do something since we've seen and heard this epiphany. John hears it and sees it. The people of Judea hear it and see it. The people from Jerusalem hear and see it. And now we hear and see it. What action that we should take now that we've seen and heard that epiphany is to take the example of Jesus and pattern our lives after a tradition. Just as we keep our familial customs and traditions, we do well to keep the faith and practice of the church as laid out in the Bible, as codified for us in the ancient creeds, as we can practice it in a common prayer tradition that we're doing right now. We should allow ourselves to have our day-to-day -day lives shaped and formed by following the Lord Jesus. When we do this, we are going to know the comfort of the love of family, God's family. Knowing what was revealed to us in the Epiphany, that is, Jesus is God in the flesh, and his ministry, now begun on earth, is for salvation. Since this is so, we should always have repentance and our need for forgiveness right in front of us. We should take seriously the words of the general confession before receiving communion. We should make regular use of the sacrament of confession. Keep in mind, we are here in the world on purpose. God created us and put us here. Keep in mind that we do have a purpose while we're here in the world. It's to get to everlasting life. These actions, beliefs, and practices, these traditions, will bring into our lives the love of a God who has manifested himself as a creator who made us out of love, who came to suffer and die for us so that we can be forgiven. And he longs to have us with him now and right through to eternal life. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.